Good morning. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen. Really glad you've decided to join us. We are in a series called Exceedingly Righteous, and we're studying Jesus' teachings through the Sermon on the Mount. And we didn't start right at the beginning. Uh, We started uh, just a little bit in where Jesus says these challenging words, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. And we've been looking at what Jesus meant when he said that about how he was talking about a a different type of righteousness, not a righteousness that was greater than the Pharisees because you were better at keeping the rules and following the law, but a different type of righteousness, an internal righteousness, a, a righteousness of the heart. And the first teachings, we looked at how Jesus was saying uh, to watch out for or to check if you have sins of the heart. One of the things he says, for example, is maybe you didn't kill, but do you hate? And over the last two weeks, we've been talking about Jesus' teachings about a, a faith that's a scam. He says, beware, beware of doing really good things on the outside but inside having a self-righteous motive or a motive of self-promotion. And so after this, now we transition into the kind of the next sequence of Jesus's sermon. And what he does is he begins to talk about how what he's taught us now manifests itself out in a physical universe, out in the world that we live in. And so he's going to get exceptionally uh, practical over these next two teachings, or actually these next few teachings that we'll look at through the month of August. And uh, what we're going to see here is Jesus' concern for what's changed in your heart now reflecting something in the way that you actually live. And so we'll see this first in this teaching this morning. Now, if you have a traditional birthday party, at some point in time, the question is going to be asked, cake or ice cream? And the only appropriate answer to that question is, well done. Wow. Both. Why pick between cake and ice cream? Take them both. Of course, both. And then sometimes it's okay to take both. Cake and ice cream is certainly a good example of that. Both. And throughout this teaching, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to get to the end of it. I'm telling you the end. He's going to get to the end and he's going to say, in this particular case, you can't have both. When I was growing up, uh, or at least in high school, the best day ever, I think this only happened twice, is when school was canceled, but the game that you had that night was still on. I mean, you didn't have to go to school, but you still got to play the basketball game. It happened twice in my life. It was awesome. You don't often get both, though. You get one or the other. Jesus ends this teaching, and he says, you can try. You can try to have both the world and me. You can try to have money or mammon and God, but you can't. You can't worship both. You can't love both. It's not possible. In fact, the word picture that Jesus has here at the end is, uh, and the reason that whole little teaching on the light and the eye was included in this passage is because what Jesus was saying is what you set your gaze on, you will eventually worship. And so what he's saying is where uh, the picture he's saying is somebody who's looking one direction and then looking the opposite direction, but trying to make progress. And he says, you can't. You can't look at both and make progress. You'll be so confused. So you have to pick one. You have to pick one to follow. God or the world. Or he says it here, God or money. 
just pick. You can't do both. You'll walk in a circle. Now, how does Jesus get to that point? He didn't start there. He starts like this in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, what's a treasure? A treasure is anything that we assign value to. Particularly today, I want to talk about a, a, a currency, a type of currency, and not money or crypto or anything like that, a type of currency that we assign to something. And often we assign value in this way. It brings us hope. It brings us confidence. It brings us joy. Or it brings us satisfaction. A treasure is anything that we look to to bring us one of those four things inside. My joy, my satisfaction, my confidence, my hope will be placed in this. And Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't run after collecting things on earth that will produce those things for you. Don't make that your ultimate Treasure. Now, when I was growing up, my first treasure was my baseball card collection. I had hundreds, thousands of them. And here's what was interesting. The more of them I got, the more I wanted. And the more I wanted, the more I was unwilling to let anyone else take one. And the more I collected them, uh, the more I thought about, I wonder how much these are worth. And so if you remember back in the 90s, uh, if you wanted to figure out how much a baseball card was worth, there was this thing called the Beckett, okay? And the Beckett assigned a, uh, a value to every single baseball card in the market. And so every year when the Beckett would come out, I would get it and I would start a ledger and I would assign value to my baseball card collection. This was the most exciting thing I did as a child. It was my treasure, it was my treasure, and I loved it, and my heart was in it <laughs> every year. Jesus says, and he warns us of something. He says, if you place your hope, confidence, satisfaction, and joy into the things of this earth, let me tell you what's going to happen. He says, first, moth and rust are going to destroy it. What's he saying there? What's he saying? Moth and, and rust are something that either attach or deteriorate into the very essence of whatever it is. And it begins to slowly destroy it. He says, when your hope, joy, satisfaction, confidence, when it's placed in things of this earth, over time what will happen is the value to which it once had will slowly deteriorate. In other words, something that once brought you so much hope, whatever it might be, it brought you hope. And then you've watched over time how it's actually not brings you less hope than it wants. Or as my freshman econ professor at Hillsdale used to say, it's the law of diminishing marginal return, Mr. Whitlow. It's his favorite phrase in class. If you don't know what the law of diminishing marginal return is, it's why the first drink of Pepsi is so good and the last one makes you want to vomit. It diminishes. It diminishes. And what Jesus is teaching here is the treasures of this earth, they, they diminish. What You once had so much confidence in, in your strength, in your body. Then you hit 30. And they left. You once had so much satisfaction in a job, a relationship, whatever it might be. And you've seen 
It begins to slowly deteriorate, leaving you wanting more, more, more. And if that doesn't do it, Jesus says, that's not the only way that something diminishes over time. It's not just from the inside. He said external forces are going to work against it too. He says thieves will break in and take it. Something will come in from the outside and steal it. Oh, and you've seen this too. You just get something and you're so pumped about it. You're so excited about it. There's all of this joy. And then what do you do? You get on Facebook and you see somebody's picture and your joy turns to jealousy. Just like that. A thief has come in Facebook and stolen it. You have so much confidence in your employment and how much you make. The job is gone. The market turns. A thief comes in and steal it, steals it. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves your ultimate hope, joy, satisfaction, and confidence in the things because it will either deteriorate over time, law of diminishing marginal return on it, or something else of this world will come in and will break it down or steal it or take it. And you'll be on a constant quest like a treasure hunter trying to find the one treasure that this doesn't apply to. And if it's of this earth, there isn't one. He says, ah, but there's another option. There's another option, he says. He said, instead, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, associate, identify your deepest hope, satisfaction, joy, and confidence in something that this earth can't touch. Something in heaven. We'll later find out that what he's really talking about is in him, in his love and in his grace. Why? Well, because moth or rust can't destroy it. So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying in this way, it works the opposite. It works the opposite. Instead of slowly deteriorating over time, it grows over time. Oh, and if you've been in faith, for any amount of time. You know this to be true. You know this. Jesus was right. Yeah, there's a euphoric joy of initial salvation. Woo! And there's that camp-like emotion. And oftentimes that, that joy is associated with often like how much he loves us or how big he is. And those are great things. But if you've been in faith for a while, what you begin to realize is the joy of your salvation, it's not just that overwhelming emotion at the beginning. It's a long-lasting joy. I, in fact, what I've learned, that most of the joy of my salvation now isn't just based upon how much he loves me, but it's often and, and, and also based on uh, the more I stay into faith, the more into Christ, uh, the longer I go, the more I realize how hard I was to love. The more I understand the verse that says, when I was his enemy, he loved me. And the deeper joy that produces. It says when your joy is in your salvation, in Christ, and what it'll do over time for life and all of eternity is it'll grow and grow and grow. If your joy is in something of this earth, what it'll do is it'll shrink, it'll shrink, it'll shrink. This is place your treasure here. Find your joy in me and be on a path grows and grows and grows. What about your confidence? 
hey, I think there's a great childlike confidence when we come to salvation, right? God can do anything. It's like a six-year-old who thinks their dad is the strongest man in the world. That's awesome. But as you grow in faith, what do you realize? You realize that uh, there's a confidence that begins to be birthed inside of you. A confidence that looks and says, I don't know how you're going to get me through this, but I know you will because you always have. And whatever I've gone through, God, you've always been there. And your confidence in the Lord doesn't shrink, it grows because you've seen his faithfulness. Hope, satisfaction are the same. When we think about satisfaction, Paul has this famous line where he says this, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. And I think we typically understand this situation. I've learned to be content in all circumstances to think that there's a circumstance and Paul walks into the circumstance and he learns how to become content in the circumstance. And I don't really think that's what Paul was saying. I think what Paul was saying is he's learned to be content and then the circumstances come to him, but they don't matter because I've learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied. Paul is saying, I, I, I have found my, my treasure to be in heaven. I have found my treasure to be in Christ. I have found my contentment to be in Christ. And so now since I have that, when the world throws unexpected tragedy, when the world throws unemployment, when the world throws shake up, I have something that doesn't shake. Moth and rust or a, a thief can't take it from me. So I can be content. Even in this, even in this. It also begins to teach us this, my friends. If our lives lack a certain level of contentment, of satisfaction, of hope, of confidence, of joy, then too much of our treasure is this way and not focused on him. That when deep down, Deep down, at the lowest point of who we are, by the lowest, I mean the most meaningful point of who we are, if we claim Christ, but have no hope, have no confidence in who we are in him, have no joy, then we have to ask, where is my treasure? Where am I most deeply looking for it? Because this is what happens. He says, for where your treasure is, where you look for that stuff, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. In other words, there your life will follow. Your life will follow which one that you're placing. And you know this, right? Because when your uh, heart or when your treasure, when your confidence, when your hope, when your joy, when your satisfaction and you're in high school and it's wrapped up in a person, where does your heart go? <laughs> to that person, everything, right? You skip class, you do whatever. I'm just, I, you spend money you don't have, right? It's like when you see 16-year-olds at, at the most expensive restaurant in town and you're like, that's love right there. Why? Because in that relationship, all of a sudden, they're finding a meaning, a joy, a satisfaction that they've never found in anything else. And they go, whew. But he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, once you find your deepest joy, satisfaction, 
confidence and hope in me. Your whole life will follow. Everything you have will just follow it because you're looking at it. Your eyes are focused on it. And everything else will follow. Oh, and here's what's interesting. I don't think what Jesus is trying to do in this teaching, and, and I know I'm, I guess I'm making some conjecture, but I don't think what Jesus is trying to do in this teaching is, is um, manipulate people into giving more of their money or making them feel guilty if they don't. I don't think what Jesus is trying to do here is, 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 is reign in control. I think what Jesus is trying to do here is to free your heart from finding your treasure in those things so that your heart might be free to run after him fully. Said another way, those baseball cards that I loved, all right, that I cherished, that were my first collection. If somebody would have asked me for one of them, what would I have said? No course not. I can't give you one of these. This is my collection. Now, somebody had given me a deck of football cards also, right? And I, so I had like 12 football cards. And somebody said, hey, can I have that blank and blank rookie card? I don't even remember who it was now. And I said, yes, you can. Take it. And they said, what? They didn't say this because they were nine, but they thought this, I promise. You're so generous. You would give me that card. Wow. Why? Because they valued it. They treasured it. Let me say this a different way. When you value something appropriately, when a Christian, when a Christian values their money appropriately, they no longer see themselves as generous. They don't think ever, I'm generous. Look at what I've given. Why? Because they don't assign any value to it. So you could write a massive check and you'll never think, oh, I'm generous. If you do, then you're still assigning the wrong value to it. It's only when you're so free from it, where it has no value. It's not your treasure anymore. You can give it like crazy because it's like me giving out football cards. It doesn't matter. My hope isn't there. My joy isn't there. My satisfaction isn't, what does it, what does it cost me to give something that I have no value to? See, this, friends, this is the type of freedom that Jesus is trying to get you to. This is when, when he says you're free in Christ, when it says that your heart now is focused, when you're finding your joy, satisfaction, confidence, and hope in him, then everything this way all of a sudden pales in, in value. Then somebody, and by the way, when people look at you and they say, oh my gosh, you're so generous. You know why they're saying that? Because it's their treasure. And they think, how could you give up this much of your treasure? Wow. You gave up so much of it. You gave up so much. No, I'm saying, not saying you shouldn't be grateful or thankful and all of those things. Sure. But when you're free, when you're free from it, when you've really stopped looking this way and you're looking that way, oh, yeah, 
You just you can give your time, you give your money, you give your heart, you give your energy, you give it all. You give it all. I think that's what Jesus is after here. He says, no one can serve two masters. When it says serve two masters, in other words, you can't, again, have two directions that you're going. You can't. You can't have the world and money. It's not your birthday. You can't have both. You got to pick one. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. I think Jesus is being as clear as he can. (laughs) There's no middle ground. You're worshiping one of them. You're following one of them. Now, what does it mean to follow or to serve? Can't serve. If you serve something, then you let it dictate the direction. You let it dictate how you operate. And I think what he's looking at most importantly, you let it dictate how you feel. How much hope you have. How much joy you have. How much satisfaction you have. How much confidence you have. So you can't find that in both places. One or the other. You can't serve God and money. I think the only fair way to end this is to simply ask you which way you're facing. What, what way is really driving your joy, hope, satisfaction, and confidence? See, I've got a meeting this week with a group of people, and here's what I want to do when I meet with them. And these are some people from my past. I want to walk in, and I want to say, I want to wear like an outfit that makes me look good, right? I'm just being fully honest, right? Okay, and I want to come in, and I want to think in the back of my head, my baby is beautiful. My wife is awesome. The church is going well this summer. I'm starting a business in the fall. I've accomplished this in the last couple of years. And, and I want to I wanna pre, uh, um, um, like amp myself up with everything that should give me hope, joy, confidence, and strength before I walk in there. And I think the most honest approach, and I think what I have to do in this moment is stop Stop and realize how quickly we can begin to allow those things to define who we are and what we think about ourselves. And instead, to walk into that meeting and to walk through life saying, whatever happens in all of those things I just listed does not change what Christ has done for me does not change who I am in him, does not change my deepest joy, hope, confidence, and contentment. Those things are locked up. The world, my circumstances, other people can't take them. But here's the great thing. When you get there, you are free then. That's freedom in Christ. That's where Jesus wants you. 
And the only way to get there is to turn and to keep your eyes on him.